This is We Met You When, a new podcast by journalism students at Toronto Metropolitan University. We go back in time, dig up new stories from 2012, and track down the people in those stories. Okay, cool. I'm going to start Yeah. She referred to me as Burley in that article, I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that? It's okay. <laughs> I've acquired a lot of different tools over time, and... Yeah, it's always a work in progress, though, to say you're fixed. Uh, I wasn't fixed then, and I'm definitely not fixed now, right? We want to know what happened after their names were in the news. I almost feel like a depression started to set in when I realized this is, I can't keep this up. So at that point, I also think I was running out of steam. But then a lot of the external pressure, I think I let it get to me internally. I was like, oh, I'm in the newspaper now. Now they're going to like, know who I am, and like, if I lose, they're going to, I don't know, remember the newspaper article or something. Some were children when they were interviewed. Others were adults. No one was in a position of power. But many of them felt the power a new story can have. It's definitely something where even working with online databases and even working back with friends and peers and colleagues it's something always like, don't Google my full name, don't Google my last name. And sometimes some of the things that you said and the way they put it in, it doesn't sound like that's what you were saying. Do you know what I mean? Right? And that's, to me, is scary, right? We're exploring the difference a decade makes and the difference we journalists can make going forward by first going back to 2012. I'm Jasmine Alkalani. You're listening to We Met You When, Season 1. This is Just Roll With It. A couple of months ago, I was searching for an article for an assignment. You know, I often get bored and distracted reading one article after another. But as I was browsing, a 2012 Toronto Star headline caught my eye. Roller skating shop only one of its kind in Toronto. Now, I don't roller skate but I was in the mood to read something cheerful. The story follows Gwen McDonald and her passion for roller skating. But what really surprised me was learning that she quit her job and invested all the money her late father left behind to open a roller skating shop. Reading her story made me feel satisfied, knowing that she was able to dedicate the store to her father. You know, I was content with the article ending on a positive note, like a happy ever after. But the journalist in me had this nagging feeling, telling me there had to be more to the story. My curiosity wouldn't let me rest, so I followed the hunch and googled her store. I was expecting to find a link to the store or even some skate reviews, but what I found was something much different. A Yelp page for the store, and it read, CLOSED, in big letters. Now I was confused, and even worried about the store. What happened? Why wasn't it open anymore? More importantly, what happens when you close a store that has that much meaning? Now I knew I needed to fill in this gap, so I reached out to the only person who can do that for me. Gwen. Hey, my full name is Susan Gwendolyn McDonald. I go by my middle name of Gwen. I was born in Etobicoke in uh, 1978, Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. And from there, I've had a whirlwind of a life. And I'm currently back at Etobicoke after this whirlwind, funnily enough. 
Gwen first started roller skating when she was a kid. She didn't play many sports growing up, so roller derby was the first sport her father came out to see her play. Her parents divorced when she was around eight years old, and she didn't see her father often. So my dad was like the ever other weekend dad and the two week summer vacation dad. Um, but he was always someone I could rely on. My, the rest of my life was a little bit uh, turbulent in my home. Um, so going to school and seeing my dad were kind of my safe places. As she got older, her relationship with her father flourished. We started going to his local pub and that's when we really, really started to get to know each other as people rather than um, a father-daughter relationship. And we really just started, yeah, very much became equals. And I think he really got to know me. And in these pub sessions we would have, I remember like one time, he just kind of like album and he's like, you know, you're all right. Like he was just getting to know me as a person rather than his offspring or something that, you know, you, you managed to keep alive for 18 years. <laughs> Gwen's life took a turn when her father died in 2009. After her loss, she focused all her energy on turning her passion for roller skating into a business. I'd never really stuck with anything like I had with roller derby. So him coming out and wearing my team's t-shirt and bringing his friends from his, his local pub, you know, that was really meaningful to me because I didn't play sports growing up as a kid, really, you know. Um, I played a little bit of lacrosse for a minute in high school. So... For my parents to come and see me do anything, it just didn't happen. So I think I'm gonna choke up now. So seeing my dad do that as an adult was very meaningful. Two years after losing her father, Gwen started building My Role Life. A handful of my friends and I, we just went to town with like crowbars and stuff and whatever to just like shimmy this floor off and then sanded it and like lacquered it. Like even the lights that we had in there was like some weird tracking trim stuff. And I was like, well, they're gross, but let's spray paint them gold. And then it, it got better. A friend brought in like a, a disco ball. So it was kind of like a little, I don't really have much family. They're more like a family. So my family came together to kind of donate these odd little things like I would get I had, at one point I had a pregnant mannequin and we were just like well, let's just roll with it you know don't discriminate <laughs> opening day was approaching and by August 2011 my role life officially opened its door to the public um yeah I had a grand opening party type of thing and I had a lot of my teammates show up I had um, rival teammates come from other teams Someone had made a cake in the shape of a, a skate. And the, like the, the store wasn't even completely finished. Like it was a soft slash grand. It was just getting to the point where I had to open it, start making money or, you know, it was going to be costly. It was a lot of fun, really good turnout. So many people had come together and I was very hopeful. Very, very hopeful. As the years went by, Gwen ran into several challenges, low foot traffic, competition with online shopping, and losing her main skate supplier. I was taking on a lot for one person. People don't understand that you're, you're wearing all the hats. You are the accountant. You are HR. You are 
advertising you are marketing you are the face you are everything so there's no there's no off day most of all managing her finances became difficult gwen needed support and went to an accountant suggested by another local business and i dropped off my things and all my paperwork and it just seemed to be complication after complication to get the data and things worked out you know they're telling me there's stuff with quickbooks and just became like this software nightmare overcomplicated issue that it shouldn't have been and it dragged out which if you don't stay on top of your finances as a small business it can really get on top of you very quickly so even when reaching out in that instance it was a hurdle and after 8 years my role life closed in roller derby you would tap your hips and call off the jam like i'm done <laughs> Like maybe you're just getting beaten up by your opponents too much. The clock is against you. All your teammates are in the penalty box. It's just out of your hands at that point. And if the only thing you can do is just like tap out, then just know when it's best to do that. I don't know if I felt strong. I just felt, I think a sense of relief and just satisfied. Like I did what I could and I, I'm, I'm mentally walking myself through the empty store and remembering just the last of it and visiting my my neighbors and being like, hey, did you want this table kind of vibe stuff? Yeah, it was just, it, at that point, it was just a change. And I think the decision to like close the store and my relationship, all these things where it's just, it had a finality and was kind of like, almost like wrapping a bow on it. And like the end of a season of a your like a season finale where that person just like looks back in the apartment, shuts the door, and walks away, and then the credits roll. It just kind of felt like that. Like this is okay. Uh, on to something else. When Gwen shared her story with me, it brought up a lot of memories of my own. The more I listened to her story, the more I related to what it was she was saying. When I was 14, I lost my older sister. And I didn't know where to put all that grief at that time. In the same way Gwen turned to skating, I turned to music. My sister always wanted to be a dancer, so I told her that if I ever made it big with music, she could be my backup dancer. But after she passed, I did everything I could to maintain music. I YouTubed lessons, I borrowed a guitar from school, but I knew a career in music just wasn't sustainable. You know, I knew I had to let go of that dream. And I hated it. I felt like I was losing a connection with my older sister. This is why Gwen's story meant so much to me. You know, I usually struggle to resonate with life after loss stories. They all just seem too picture perfect. Nobody really talks about how life after death doesn't mean you won't face heartbreak anymore. You know, I often think that losing my sister will be the biggest heartbreak in my life, but that's just not the truth. You, know, you will face other challenges every single day. Sometimes you lose your passion, you'll get yelled at at school, you might do badly at work, and everything just starts piling up. And I really feel like this story represents what grief really is like, especially after saying goodbye to a person in the physical form. Gwen believes that her journey with the store was an important part of her grieving process. It remains a bittersweet time in her life. I almost feel like the depression started to set in when I realized this is, I can't keep this up. 
I didn't even have the gusto at that point. I also think I was running out of steam, the steam that I had had from losing my dad, the kind of steam that you get when you're just trying to fill that hole with grief. I was moving past that so that that crazy energy you get or some people get when they're just trying to distract themselves emotionally, that wasn't there anymore for me either. And I do recognize looking back in hindsight that losing my dad, it was one of those grief mechanisms where you just load yourself up with anything and everything to keep yourself busy so that you don't drown in your sorrow. When I lost my sister, I became a different person. You know, I lost all my sense of control and things that didn't bother me before were tearing me apart. You know, I never really cared about my grades or my looks or how people perceived me. But after losing her, I felt like such a weak person. My grief counselor told me that I had to look at grief like it was a physical scar on your arm. The things that didn't hurt you before, like taking a shower or putting on a sweater, that may have not hurt you before, but now you're sustaining a heavy injury. And although the feeling comes and goes, I do still feel like I am the luckiest person. I feel lucky to be able to grieve over my sister, because it's just a representation of how much I loved her. You know, you wouldn't grieve over someone you didn't love. And if grieving meant that this is how I get to express my love for my sister, then I wouldn't really mind grieving forever. I feel like I'm the luckiest, I'm the luckiest unlucky person there is. Like a lot of shitty things happen to me, but it could always be a lot worse. And, but something potentially positive comes out of it. Like all this crappy thing, but if you can get over the, the shit pile, sometimes, you know, something, something gleaming that is not shitty is on the other end of that. By the time my role life shut down, Gwen was ready to close that chapter of her life and move forward. But it's hard to move forward from grief. Gwen still experiences the loss of her father, even in the new chapter of her life. Grief is just one of those flavors that come in and out. I mean, there's some days where you're on top of the world, you don't think about it at all. And then the next day, you might have had a dream. Or, you know, for me, if I see a streetlight go out, that's my dad. I have those moments, too. You know, something that pulls me back to my memories with my sister is smell. Even nine years later, I'd be walking down the street and I'd smell someone's perfume or something that's coming out of a store, and it would remind me of her. Now, sometimes they're good memories, and sometimes they're not. But really, the stages make you think that they're linear. You know, you're going to finish this one first, and then you're going to move on to this one. And, and nothing's further from the truth. You may not experience any of the stages or all of the stages, and you certainly won't. If you do experience them, they won't go in any kind of order. Um, and you can go back to them. And nobody kind of tells you that. That was Eileen Jad. She's a bereavement coach and a social worker. After Eileen's sister lost her husband suddenly, they both started a charitable organization called Good Grief that provides resources for those struggling to find grief support. Eileen also says it's good to have company and support when you're grieving. 
Gwen's roller derby friends supported Gwen by just acknowledging her loss and bringing her flowers. For Gwen, that was comforting. We know that people need support when they're grieving. But what that support looks like is different for different people. For me, the person I wanted to turn to the most was my mom. But I felt guilty because I knew her loss was bigger than mine. I mean, how do you console a mother that just lost their child? Grieving is a different journey for every person. I didn't think that I was grieving or I was allowed to grieve because I was, wasn't my sibling, was my brother-in-law, wasn't my husband. Um, and um, I've since learned that was called disenfranchised grief. And so it was, it was, it was different and all the different feelings that were coming up. Um, it's not just losing and missing a person. There are other kinds of losses, um, loss of dreams, loss of financial stability, um, you know, it depends on the situation. Gwen doesn't dwell on things she can't change. After the store closure, Gwen didn't stop exploring other passions. Since the closing of the shop, Gwen has worked a variety of jobs. Background actor, event promoter and host, marketing manager. All of these jobs have brought her excitement. This is what Gwen has been chasing her whole life. Anything that brings her happiness. And now she is back in business, but this time a completely different kind of business. I'm in the legal cannabis industry currently. I've uh, spent the last few years in cannabis management on the retail side. I've literally just jumped over to uh, work for a licensed producer for their sales representation. So I'm a brand rep now. I go around to visiting stores rather than working in them. Gwen says after going through so many hurdles with her business, she feels more prepared to take on other challenges in her life. I know that I can take a real beating now. I mean, I don't want to again. I just know that I'm capable and I also know that I'm much better at asking for help as well. I'm never going to be one of those people that stick with like a job and be a lifer. Like I just don't see that in the cards. I don't see that for a lot of people. I get bored. I think that life is too short. I want to try something new. And you know, for example, just cannabis currently, that's a whole new industry that no one could have been in legally before. So I just find these things really exciting. Like I never want to get bored or, or dislike what I'm doing or dislike the group that I'm working with. So working in music and entertainment or working in clubs or cannabis just offers me these great opportunities to work in like countercultural industries in a way, which I appreciate because I don't like, I'm just not a morning person. I'm not a suit and tie person. I I'm very unconventional. So in the future, I mean, I was voted most likely to start my own cult. So I always think of that and I think, yeah, why not? Gwen learned more about herself by letting the store go and not letting it define her future. Now you won't find Gwen in a nine to five suit and tie job, but who knows where her endeavors may lead her next. You know, after finally fitting the last piece of the puzzle about what happened to the store 10 years later, Talking to Gwen made me realize that I am not alone in the way I grieve. And if anything, I'm excited to see what happens 10 years from now.
We Met You When is a production by students from journalism at the Creative School, Toronto Metropolitan University. This episode was produced by Megan Kamlasaran, L. Laws, and me, Jasmine Alkalani. Sherry Okeke is our executive producer and professor. Angela Glover is our director of audio production. Lindsay Hanna is our web design specialist. Additional sound design by L. Laws and Curtis Martin. I'm your host, Jasmine Alkalani. Thanks for listening. <laughs>